James. James. Yeah. It, what? 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 James, we're live. Oh, for goodness' sakes! You're right. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Welcome to Joystick Journeys, the sister podcast to the FC3 Monkey Business Podcast, which you can hear, of course, every Wednesday, wherever your podcasts are found. And uh, this is intended to be the gaming-centric arm of FC3's soon-to-be-sprawling podcast empire. We, Yes, that's right. We are taking over your earbuds one show at a time. My name is James Irish. Joining me as soon to be always, is Chrissy Harding. Chrissy? Hello, everybody. <laughs> this is going to be a fun show, so we're actually going to get you used to us, our craziness. <laughs> James? <laughs> yeah, that, that is the plan. Uh, this is going to be all-encompassing. Even though the name Joystick Journeys indicates video games, we're going to be covering as many different types of gaming as possible. Tabletop experiences, social games. If it if it's play and it's structured with rules, it's generally a game. So there's a good chance you'll be hearing about it on this show. Extremely good chance. So, we're going to take a very short break for just a moment, and uh, when when we return, we will be uh, we'll be getting into some questions to get so that you can know uh, what our backgrounds are, what we're like, and uh, figure see if you actually want to listen to the two of us prattle on for the next hour or so. So, we will see we're you on the other prattling. side. Of the break. We're discussing. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B true and there may be a dog popping in every so often too all the better So let's get started with Chrissy. What is your first memory of actually playing on a video game console? Actually, our first video game console was an Atari uh, 2600. I used to watch my sister play a game called Circus, and then she decided to start me off on Frogger. Uh, to this day, I still don't like Frogger. <laughs> oh, I died oh. many, many, many times. I was five. So, and uh, that was my first memory of playing video games. Um, I preferred Pong because I actually could win at that. Mm. Still remember okay. the little joy turning joystick thing. Ah, uh, yes, yes, the di the dial controllers or the paddle controllers, rather they they were called. The, yes, um, yes, they were. My first. How about you, active, Yeah, my first active memory of of any console. It's practically etched into my head. I couldn't have been any more than four years old when I came running up from the basement hearing my dad had come home from work and that, and what I see in his hands was a ColecoVision box. Mm. And and so he, after a little bit of unpacking and hooking it up, next thing I know I'm being introduced to Donkey Kong and Zaxxon and left... Those both of those games left an indelible impression on me. Apparently, we had a console beforehand. We used to have it in television, and Dad says that I cried when we got rid of it. But I don't remember that whatsoever. Yet this, yet seeing him with that Coleco box is as vivid as the day it happened in my head. 
Yeah. And actually, I just uh, updated my recal box. I now have Coleco on there as well as in television. So at some point in time, oh, nice. you'll have very, to come over very... and play some of the games on it. Yeah, well, once it's safe for us to do so, of course. Of, of course. Yeah, we're, we're still, obviously, as of the time of this recording, we're still waiting for the vaccine. I'm yes. hoping we'll get it sooner than later, the two of us, since we're both in the healthcare industry. I think we're second round, because first round is going to be the nursing homes. Um, just yeah. Just kind of trapped. But I think yeah, hospital that, workers are next, so we'll be next. That makes sense, then. So, so next just question. going off of, yeah. What was the first one you bought with your own money? Okay, back when I was uh, in college, I believe this would have been around the year 2000, uh, insert uh, Conan O'Brien in-joke here, mm -hmm. the, the first console I bought with my money was a Sega Dreamcast. Oh. Yeah, I, at, when I was in college, I was really big into the one-on-one -on -one fighting games from companies like Capcom and SNK, and uh, Sega's system was, at, at the time, the, the best platform to play those on it was the only place to get more to get marvel versus capcom 2 which was a game i was huge on in my sophomore and junior years of college so i def so i got many an hour on that and it was actually it would actually be a year before i actually bought a game by sega for sega's system how odd is that <laughs> well sega really didn't towards the end of their lifespan, didn't put out their own games for a while. They were just giving them out to, like, the third-party developers, like Capcom and stuff. So it's odd, but not odd, I guess. Is the right way to put it? Right. But so. when I did eventually get Sega games for that, I, I went in pretty hard. I got, like, three at once. Choo Choo Rocket, uh, Jet Set Radio, and Skies of Arcadia. Ooh. Yeah, to this day, Skies of Arcadia remains one of my favorite JRPGs. And that will be a game we discuss in, in depth in a future episode. Indeed. I actually have it on my on my on my lit my to play list because I love RPGs. Hmm. So those are my those are my those are my babies. So, so how about your first console? My, my first console I actually bought out of my own money. There was a very valiant attempt on my behalf to buy a Super Nintendo. I even figured out how much it would cost with tax, which would oh. be $214 back in the 90s. And I was scrimping and saving and throwing all the way up until, up until my senior year of high school, even though it had already fallen to the wayside and was replaced by the, um, by that point, I think the, six, the N64. Um, but my actual one that I ended up paying out of my own pocket for was actually um, my Nintendo 3DS. Because um, at the time, I was always on the go, so I really didn't get a chance to sit down and play games. So the, the portable was more easier for me. Plus, they had so many um, story-driven um, role-playing games on there, and even platformer games. And I, if I get into a video game, I get into a video game because it's story or because it's fun. Um, so like, um, so Zelda has always been near and dear to my heart. It's one of my favorite action role playing games. It's not a true RPG. And I know that's going to start some fights in the comments. Don't fight me on it. I'm right. It's an action RPG because it's not a true RPG because there's no leveling. Um, but that was the first, you know, I bought that and I, I actually got it so I could play Super Mario Brothers, uh, Partners in Time. Which is uh, oh, yes. Mario and Luigi. Yes, the systems RPGs. Yep, which which is their um, which is a really cute series. It doesn't you know you know it's not a time sink like Final Fantasy is, but it's a lot of fun to play because it's just so tongue in cheek, very aware of itself kind of series, and that's what I enjoy about it. Yeah, I've, so, I've actually been been toying around with grabbing a 3ds because the library for that system is so deep especially with uh, rpg experiences and platformers and and like that so i I'm, i may have to check yours out if you still yeah. have it oh i still do my mine I, that's not going or even though nintendo may have decided to um to discontinue the catalog for it 
it is still one of I, it's still one of my favorite things to sneak into work and play on my lunch break. Mm. Um, you know, so I still it's considered you know, more I still portable have than our Oh, much more portable than the switch. I can hide that thing in my back pocket. My switch, unfortunately, I can't. Right. I tried. It didn't work. Okay, so, so up next on our list. First video game you ever beat, Chrissy. The first real video game that I ever beat on my own with nobody helping me was Disney's The Little Mermaid for the Nintendo. That was okay. the first one I beat with no help. Uh, Frogger I beat with my dad's help. My father my father was alive today. He'd have every single possible game console out there because he loved them. He thought it, those were the greatest toys in the world. So, no, it was The Little Mermaid. The first considered true game I ever beat was Mario Brothers with no help. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. funnily enough, the first uh, game I have any active memory of actually being able to defeat on my own uh, was is also a Disney game on the NES from Capcom. M- mine was DuckTales. <gasps> yeah, I didn't have DuckTales. We had, I, I rented Little Mermaid and I had Chippendale's Rescue Ranger that I bummed off of a friend. Um, mm. Traded her, I traded her that for Marble Madness. Um, and I still have both because when she sold her Nintendo, she gave me back Marble Madness. She didn't want Chip and Dale back. That was the next game I beat was Chip and Dale. Yeah, I remember pouring over, I remember pouring over the issue of Nintendo Power with DuckTales on the cover, grinding out that game for every last hidden gem I could find until I was a point where I had most of them memorized. I doubt I have any of them memorized now. But it you was, never know. That, yeah, that was one of the most fair entry level platform games of that era, especially for a time when, when you know, there we have a, there's there's a popular phrase in the fandom called Nintendo Hard for a reason. A lot of these games were very difficult, and some had inflated difficulty compared to the Japanese versions to beat out the rental market. But you know. Du- DuckTales was absolutely approachable and very, very well made. Yeah, I think they with DuckTales, the one that came out before that was Mickey and Minnie's Mousecapades. That was yes. a tough game. So I think they kind of learned from that one when people were like, we're, we're, not, we're done, we're not playing this. Because there is hard and then there is rage quit, never picking it up again hard. Yeah, that one was published by Capcom here in the States, but that was not developed by them. It was Hudson that made that one. Hudson Soft, I believe, made that one. And then Capcom kind of was the, the, kind of the executive producer of it, so to speak. But yeah, no, that's a good one. I, I, I love DuckTales. I didn't know they made it too. Did you know they made a DuckTales too? I do, and uh, it... And uh, I remember never seeing it in stores. The same with Chippendale Rescue Rangers too. Yeah, which is why I, 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 I thank I thank all that is holy that Capcom put those two sequels on the Disney Afternoon Collection. You know, I didn't know it was there until I started uh, doing retro gaming and about and building up my recal box, and I was like, "Wait, there's a two? To both of these, that was an instant download, and they're yeah. they're just as fun to play as the original one. They really mm-hmm. are. I, I enjoy them. Okay, all right. So moving along, uh, first pen and paper RPG experiences. Uh, do you want me to go first on this one? You can go first. Okay, if you will. So. My first was probably Advanced Dungeons and Dragons back when I was in high school, uh, aka in today's parlance, second edition. Uh, it was I was taught by a by a classmate of mine named Jerry Lamb. Jerry, wherever you are, miss you. Hope you're doing well. And I I I ran a ran a cleric through a, a sample campaign, and that 
and we later carried that cleric over to a gothic horror thing that he did, and and we never really did much more after that uh, because pretty soon I was headed off to college. But you know, I still I still am thankful for him for getting my feet in the door with with those uh, pen and paper games. See, mine was a little different. I actually did not jump into role-playing with Dungeons and Dragons. I didn't. I jumped in with Paladin Games, and it's a game called Rifts. And it takes place in a apocalyptic Earth where magic has kind of exploded. And my character was the equivalent of a mage, which is called a Leyline Walker in the game. And she was the daughter of Merlin, who ended up getting thrown into a time loop our time portal and ended up in Rift's Earth. And our DM at the time was the was a guy I was dating named Jay, uh, Jason, and he got me into it. And then we did a couple of campaigns with me, him, and his best friend and his sister. And then when I went to college, that's when I got introduced to Dungeons and Dragons and a game called the Nomine, which is also off the beaten path as well and i'm sure there's some people who are like oh i think i heard of that game because most people are like i think i heard of it and then when i describe it they're like oh i did hear of it and this one was for uh, steve jackson games and it was actually a french rpg that was brought over where you play either an angel or a demon and depending on your decisions will determine if you stay in your rank or if you fall and if you and if you've taken too many of what's called dissidents, you become a demon if you're an angel. Or if you get too much uh, um, what's called um, um, accordance, you become an angel if you're a demon. And you kind of you kind of can flop on both sides of the of the spectrum very fluidly with this game. And that was when I got introduced um, to Dungeons and Dragons because my friend Mark Pomerantz ran those games and he introduced us to Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and that's when I, and I don't, I think at that time it was, it was second edition because it, because third edition didn't come out till later. And we were just like, what is this? Like, I was like, what's this? And he's like, this is the grandfather of role playing. And then he's like, how can you call yourself a role player and not know about Dungeons and Dragons? Because the only way I knew of it, because the only way I knew of it was the Saturday morning cartoon in the eighties. <laughs> like that was the only yeah. way I knew of it. I, I I rather wish he hadn't said that because everybody has their own entrance points. Everybody's going to come from a different set of experiences, and you'd be surprised what flies under people's radars. Well, you know it's funny because it, when he said it, and I looked at him, and I'm just like. I, you know, it's kind of like the, you are lucky you're my friend or I'd, I'd have to hurt you. And mm. then, of course, that was also that session when he said it, I rolled nothing but 20s. So I really <laughs> kind of screwed over any plan he had. Um, <laughs> which I'm Certain sure if Mark right. is, which I'm sure if Mark is listening to this, he's like, son of a bitch, I forgot about that. Like, he's like, yeah, that's right. Yep. Freaking little bit, yeah. I totally screwed over everything, anything he had planned for us. So, because I kept getting critical hits on everything, it was like the fastest battle I think we ever had. I'm like, uh, can you, can can you take that back now? <laughs> oh. So, would Love that you, character have been one of your favorites played in a tabletop game, or do you have a different one? Actually, my current favorite that I have is her name is uh, Theori, and she, it's in an abandoned, um, unfortunately, it's an abandoned campaign right now. Uh, she was a half-drow rogue who was looking for her family, and it was, um, and my friend James Moon ran that campaign, and then unfortunately became abandoned because a lot of the people who played in it uh, moved away got bored, I wasn't one of them, because they wanted more battles. They didn't want to puzzle, solve, or do something diplomatic. They just wanted to go in and kill stuff. So, But she was my favorite because she was chaotic good, who did not like magic, and I was in a party of all magic casters, of all spell casters. Oh, dear. So it was very, 
So it was very hard for her to wrap her brain around magic being used for good because with Drow society, it's it's not used for good. It's it's used for evil. So she grew up thinking magic is bad. Magic is used to kill people. Not seeing magic can be used to heal or anything else. So she was fun to play because every time they do something, she's like, what are you doing? Like, what did you just kill to do that? Because that was her um, her way of being. And then my second favorite is a character I'm playing called Kenzie. She's part of a twin. And this is in Rifts. And this has been like the longest Rifts role-playing game ever because we've been doing this since college. Oh, my goodness. And, yeah, she's, she's considered a techno-wizard, which are people who combine magic and technology together to make new things. She sucks at putting things together, but she's really good at taking things apart. And then there's her, then there's, uh, my other friend plays her twin, Mac, Mac Kenzie, because we had to be cute. And he's great at putting things together. So she can take stuff apart. He can put it together. Um, when she puts stuff together, stuff tends to explode. If not right away, it will eventually. So she's my second favorite because she's, she's just so, oh my God, I want to take it apart and put that together. No, don't do it. Um, that's kind of, that's kind of the gist of some of our sessions. What about you? What's your favorite character to play? Or my favorite character uh, of, of late has, is a tiefling sorceress, uh, named her Kalista and, uh, Ooh. she's, She's a draconic origin sorceress, so I'm already on top of being a, a, a the demonic motif of a tiefling with the red skin and the horns and all that. She's got blue dragon scales, which makes her look doubly unusual and difficult to uh, blend into a crowd. Of course, <laughs> when you're an adventurer, you're only worried about that at roughly half the time. But she's developed this habit of just pulling her hood over her head and kind of... Uh, doing her best impression of a Jawa, so to speak. <laughs> over, her, over the first time I brought this character concept out, uh, I wound up with this one staff that had a quirk, basically turned this character into a Disney princess. You know, she'd be followed along by cute, fluffy little animals appropriate to the terrain. So if we were in a cave, there'd be a, there'd be a couple bats. If we were in a forest, there'd be squirrels and rabbits and so on and and so i just kind of decided to play it up a bit and it and it wound up this unusual mental image of this rather creepy looking tiefling with scales putting putting splints onto the broken foot feet of rabbits oh my goodness <laughs> Oh my god, it's so cute and yet so horrifying at the same time. Exactly. So she's so I, she's one of the few characters I've actually had a specific miniature commissioned for, and I actually got this in my hand right now. I got this off of uh, uh, what's their what's the name of the group? Uh, Hero Forge. Yes, yes, Hero Forge. When they did their full color Kickstarter earlier in the year. Mm -hmm. I made a high-level version of her, so she's got the, the dragon wings and that. Whoa. And I'm happy with how it turned good. out. Zero Forge is awesome. They make some great custom miniatures. They truly do. Oh, absolutely. And I love that they're constantly updating. They're doing their big, uh, their big adventure calendar, a play on advent calendar right now, where they're adding something new every day up until Christmas. So there's going to be a lot of of neat new stuff up there pretty soon. Yeah, usually and, uh, when I, I use... Oh, go ahead. I'd go further, but then they'd have to pay us for advertising. I sometimes I like to use their website if I'm creating a character and a story and I want to try to get a visual. I'll use their little, like, you know, like the little freebie maker that they have just so oh, I yes. can get an idea. Now they're probably going to start charging for that now that they know that I use it all the time for that. <laughs> uh, naturally. Heroes Forge, sponsor us. Yes. Yes. Okay, so, let's. 
let's jump on down the list a bit and let's go to the first arcade experience. Oh, my first arcade experience. Oh, I, I had them with my dad. Um, when Arundaquite Mall first opened up behind us back in 1900, um, they actually had time out in there. And my mom wanted to do this big, huge shopping thing. And my dad loved to shop, but I hated shopping. So he took me to Time Out Arcade, and we went through $5 worth of quarters, the two of us. And then we had to find my mother to get another $5. Oh, my goodness. And, and I, I enjoyed it. It was just all the lights and the sounds, and there were people there my age, and he was explaining to me um, the mechanics of the games and, you know, how to, you know, how to use your quarters wisely. And he also mm. taught me video game etiquette, uh, arcade etiquette, which was very important when you are 10 and you just want to play everything. Um, he explained to me when you put the quarter on there, that's you're telling the person you're waiting for your turn. Um, right. Or if it's a fighting game, you're challenging them to the next game. So he taught me kind of all of that. Um, my dad was much, much older, probably in his 50s. So he remembers the real early arcades um, back when he was when he was younger, too, um, back in the 60s and the 70s. So it the was, electromechanical machines. Exactly. And he was a pinball fan, which I still enjoy pinball to this day, but. My father was like the pinball king um, when it came to pinball games. Like, you just watch him go, and you're just like, Dad, what quarter are you on? First quarter. How? You've been at it for 30 minutes. Like, that was my first arcade experience was when he took me in there and just showed me the rules and how to do things. Um, that was cool. I, I think your dad and my dad would have found a few things in common because um, he is – he could stand in front of this one pinball machine called Comet. Oh, yeah. roller coaster themed. And he would rack up so many free games that uh, the arcade operators would have to go up to him and say, uh, look, we're closing. Can I just give you like some skee-ball tickets to get you to go? <laughs> but... My first arcade experience, if it wasn't a timeout at one of the Rochester malls, like most likely Marketplace, it was probably at Browncroft Day Camp, because the uh, the the owners and operators they in their indoor uh, area for for daycare and day camp for the older kids had a had a small arcade in it with. A we an odd modified version of Pac-Man that turns some of the mazes into ones with invisible walls with a different layout, and there would there was Donkey Kong and Space Invaders and and eventually Zaxxon and Tron and Burger Time and a few others that whose 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 identities escaped me over the course of these years. There's one specific game from that that I've been looking for. It's a it's a shooter arranged like uh, Galaxian or Galaga, but the concept is there's there's the there's this mother alien laying larvae that if they get if enough of them get past you, you they the larvae hatch into these extra dangerous uh, bugs. Oh. But for the life of me, I cannot remember the name of this game. Oh, I I, I can see it in my head. And I can't remember what it is. Hmm. I can see it. Like I can see the I can see the council. I can see the council art, but I can't see the name. Right. Oh. Right. Same with me. And if any of you out there in listener land are familiar with this game, let us know. We will we will tell yeah. you where to let us know towards the end of the podcast, of course. And also any suggestions you may have as well for what us to talk about. Oh, of course. Yeah, We've sure. got a lot of ideas, but we would love to hear from you. Indeed. Indeed. So, who was your first geek crush on a digital character? Oh, good heavens. <laughs> I hope I don't regret adding this question to the list myself. But at least I know <laughs> I'm not going to be the only person answering this. Oh, but no. if I had to pick, even though I wasn't necessarily the biggest fan of the series, my first 
Geek Crush would have probably been on Katana from the Mortal Kombat games. Oh, and I this, knew many, would... many, many boys in high school who had a crush on her. <laughs> yeah, this was back when, uh, of course, Mortal Kombat used digitally captured images of actors and actresses. So there was a fairly attractive young lady doing the stunt work and the motion capture for this character. And, you know, just the the moves that the character had, the actions she took, I was, uh, I was smitten. It's admittedly both safer and less safe, and less healthy, rather, to get a crush <laughs> on a fictional character, because even though ultimately no harm will come of it, nothing else will come of it either. True. I think... Okay, that's my story. My, How about yours? Mine was actually Link from Legend of Zelda. Um, Somehow I'm not surprised. Who, who is really surprised? Um, I actually... I kind of... When I played the game, I was like, ah, this is Kay. He doesn't really talk. And then I saw the cartoon show. And, oh. um, yeah, remember when it was paired with Captain N, you know, the Game Master? Yeah, um, and I remember it being uh, the Friday installment of the Super Mario Brothers show. It was, yeah. And then um, I always, I, there was just something about, you just felt so bad for Link. Like, you just want to be like, oh, honey, it's going to be okay. She'll eventually realize you like her. Like, just, but it also started the phrase in my house that I used to use on my sister all the time of, excuse me, princess. Of um, course. I was I waiting used, for but that. I would, yeah. Excuse me, princess. I used to do it to my sister all the time when she's, because my sister's 10 years older than me, but kind of thought she ran the house without realizing that, you know, mom runs the house. You're just here. <laughs> so, um, but no, Link was my first real crush. Like, I was just like, oh my God, I love you, Link. Um, I actually started also, my second up, my runner up to that was Luigi. Cause I also, like, Luigi was just, he was just so much fun to watch in the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. And uh, then when yes. they came out with the movie, and they had John Lomanzano play Luigi. Yes. Ooh, he was so cute. It's just like, oh my god, Luigi's hot. <laughs> that also reveals my age now, too. Yeah, we're going to be doing a lot of that over the course of this show. <laughs> this is a true statement. Yeah. No. All right, so now how about favorite arcade game? I, you pr actually heard my favorite arcade game right at the top of this show, Dig Dug. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, it's... I mean, I love the a lot of the Golden Age arcade games. I love how colorful a lot of them were. You know, it, most I, I understand that was in part to attract attention to the games themselves, but also a function of the limited color palettes of those those early computer processors. But still, you know, to my young five to six year old eyes, it was like a box of crayons exploding in front of me, and those and those games really ins inspired the way I I approached art and 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 iconography and the like. But you know, Dig Dug was the one that stuck with me because the mechanics were just deep enough that there was some advanced strategy to that game, but not but it was still something I could get when I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. So it, it has both the nostalgia factor for me and the I can get a satisfying play experience out of this aspect to this day. Oh yeah, Dick Duck, Dick Duck is one of those that won't die easily. It's it's just simple and fun, and that's 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 the fun part of it. And how about your favorite arcade title? My favorite arcade title. There was there was two that are tied for the top spot. The one is Dungeon uh, Dread. No, not. Dungeons. Dragon Lair 2. Um, oh, Time Warp. Because of the art, the Time Warp one. Because of, it was just because of the graphics and the story, and it was just, you were, when you watched it, you were watching a movie. You know, it was just, and it was just fun just to, to watch and, and to be part of, and it was a good, like, I just, it was just such a good story, and 
so beautifully done, but I'm also a big fan of Don Bluth's artwork anyways, because he designed all the, the graphics for that series. But the right. one that ate up all my quarters was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the arcade game. Ah. We, oh, that ate a lot of my quarters, whether it was at Time Out or at Seabreeze Amusement Park in their little arcade section. Because when we used to go with summer camp, we all used to beg for extra money. And we used to tell our parents it was so we could buy a hamburger with french fries and a milkshake. Nope, we'd buy a slice of pizza, go over, and literally sit there and drown all of our money into trying to beat this game. And we would take turns. Everyone mm -hmm. in the summer camp. We would just take turns playing. Okay, so-and-so died, your turn. Okay, my turn. To, like we, we were determined to beat that game. We didn't go on all that many rides. We were determined to beat that game. And we then will definitely burned... be talking about Konami's multiplayer brawler games in a future episode in depth because there's a lot of them to talk about with a lot of variants between them to discuss. Oh, yeah. Konami and Capcom made some of the best brawler games that were just fun to play. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so, no, right, those, are so my, those are my two. Those those are good choices, and uh, I do have to go back to Dragon's Lair 2 Time Warp real quick, because if somebody really good gets on a roll and you get to watch them from the beginning to the end, that is transcendent to watch. It is, it is, it was, there was this one kid who could play it, and I don't know who he was, but I used to be able, when I used to go up there, and my dad, you know, would... You know, back then when you could leave your kids in the arcade and go shopping, I would literally yeah. sit behind this kid and just watch him play. And it was just amazing. And I used to get pissed when my parents would come and get me and he wasn't done playing the game yet because I wanted to know how it ended. It was just amazing to just how oh. fluid everything was. Um, which did when I found it on uh, to be able to play on my computer, I did pick it up. It was Dragon Slayer, Dragon Slayer 2, and Space Ace for the computer. And it was yep. the same games. And then I realized how much I really sucked at it and how much skill it takes to really play those games. <laughs> Quick time yeah. events were never the same after that. Right. I've, I've got the, the Switch port of those three. And when I was researching for the forthcoming Dragon Slayer retrospective article on the blog, even with the helper prompts, getting the timing on some of those things is so tight. It, it, I, I could see how this thing gobbled many a quarter back in the day. Oh my god! Yes, like I mean, I, I that was my first rage quit. Actually, was Dragon Slayer mm. because I felt I had to start from the first to go into the second because I'm a completionist like that. I have yet to break that. Um, and I rage quit within like the first 10 minutes of Dragon Slayer. Because I could get over the bridge and get past the dragon. And that was it. <laughs> I always died in the first room. And I was just like, I, I eventually rage quit it. I mean, it's still probably sitting in in its case somewhere in my house. Like with my, my um, the CD games that I have. But man, that was my first rage quit. Like, I didn't know what rage quit was until I did that. And then a friend of mine was like, congratulations, you just rage quit a game. I'm like, I did what? Okay. That was my first, that was my first rage quit. What was your first rage quit? Oh, oh my goodness. If I had to take a wild guess, oh, it was, it may have been... Going back to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, it may have been the uh, the first NES game. Back on that second stage, when you get underwater, and there's all that electrified seaweed. And oh, yeah! It, it takes so much precision to get through that. I, I just could not wrap my head around that game. At least that part oh, of that game. And it just, I never got any further and I never rented that game again. I was like, this is garbage. I don't, I don't want to deal with this anymore. 
I used I used right. to I, that used to be my I hated that stage on the NES. And then I played Battletoads and I played that freaking Turbo Tunnel. Oh. And then oh. I saw a video of a six year old beating it, and I'm like, screw that. <laughs> just no like, kidding. Somebody get that kind of scholarship. Like, Seriously, like this daddy's and he's this guy was filming his daughter and he's saying, "Okay, honey, this is," and she's sipping right through it. And I'm like, "That is so not fair." I remember, like tons of money my mom used to spend renting that game. So, because I kept going, "Mom, I need to get the game back out. I gotta beat it. I can beat it this time." Eventually, I just had to stop. <laughs> and then your mom's like, "No, we're not renting." Battletoads, get something else. I'm tired of hearing it. Probably, she was probably extra tired of hearing that pause music. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, going that from was... games we... Oh, you go, sorry. No, 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 you go. So, going from games we rage quitted, let's go in the direction of games we're the least likely to rage quit. What's your favorite video game genre, Chrissy? I am definitely... I love RPGs. I just... There's just something about being able to build up your character. Um, you you can die and respawn at a save point, and it's not like you have to start from the very blinking beginning. I, I see you there, Super Mario Brothers. I'm still ticked at you for killing 12 hours of because of a stupid jump. And Nintendo oh. recoil. Hmm. Like, oh, I feel that but one. That, yeah, and like I said, I started, my first RPG was Legend of Zelda, which is really an action RPG, and again, I will fight you all on that for anyone who tells me it's a true RPG, it is not, but it's a good beginner uh, to get into it. Right now, I'm playing Earthbound, again, ah. and I love Earthbound, like, I could play that game so many times, and I still get a smile every time I play it. I actually just, I actually just finished... Um, the far side quest, both and, and saved it before I jumped on here with you. So I'm only ha I'm partially through the game. I'm halfway through the game. So, but that was my favorite. It still is. How about you? Oh, it's it's admittedly a tough call. I but uh, if I had to pick just one genre to take with me, it would be the Metroidvania. The exploratory action platform style games epitomized by Met by Super Metroid and some of the latter cast 2D Castlevania, starting with Symphony of the Night on the PlayStation 1 and WayForward's Shantae series. And there's scads of others I have yet to actually get a chance to try that I've been meaning to, like Guacamelee. But I love yeah. the feeling of being able to explore out a game where the where the platforming isn't necessarily too difficult, but you're like, okay, I cannot reach that platform. I'm gonna have to remember this and come back. Eventually get the double jump or get the bat transformation or get the the transformation into the little the, the cute little purple monkey or what or what have you. And then suddenly you can reach those areas and you're opening up other power-ups, you're getting access to new stages and all that. And it, it's just so satisfying being able to watch those maps fill in and piece together what you have to do to get to all these different areas. Yeah, that's a, that is a fun formula and one of my one of my favorite TV shows, Phantom 2040 actually has a video game out that is in that kind of um, is the Metroidvania Ooh. style. But it's a sleeper gem because nobody knows about this game. Um, when I first played it, it was for me, it was like, ah, I just need to know where to go. But then I realized it was it was an explore. It's more exploration. So then once I got into that mindset of this is not linear, you can do these in any order. Stop trying to make it a storyline. <laughs> right. For A to B. So, um, which. Um, which I, which once you let that go, those games are so much fun. Just some of the stuff, some of the stuff you can get into and find. That's a good choice. I like, that's a good one. Yeah. 
And uh, by the by, anybody interested in in the history of those games, there's a great video series by Jeremy Parrish called Metroidvania Works on YouTube. Go check it out sometime. I'm hoping someday we can get him on for an interview. That would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. How about, what is your favorite console that you ever played on? Oh, man. I think if I had to pick just one for the sheer variety of experiences I was able to pull together on it, probably be my Xbox, my, my Xbox 360. Because that, that console was made by the Xbox Live Arcade uh, service. All the digital downloadable titles. Because that it allowed for a huge influx of old school arcade games to get new leases on life. It and that was the where games like Castle Crashers and Super Meat Boy and Explosion Man all made their debut. Get it was a breeding ground for the current independent gaming boom that's caused that's got so that has led to the diversity of game offerings that I'm really thankful for in this current generation. And I, and you know, Xbox Live Arcade was the first time on a console that the, the Konami's X Men arcade game would would appear uh, simultaneously alongside PS3, of course. But and it was the first time that we would get a proper console port of the Simpsons arcade game. It had appeared on some uh, microcomputers before that, uh, contemporaneously with the arcade release. But that was the first time it would be on a on, on an actual uh, video video game console. So that. So I have a lot of fond memories for that era of Xbox. Yeah, mine was the three D, my three DS. Um, not yeah. just because it was the first one I bought, but it, for the same reason, there was such a variety of games you could play on it. Um, between you know the using the control pad and using the stylus. Um, and and the com- combination of games, but also the a the um, ARG or the aug- uh, the AR component of it, the augmented reality component of it, where you can sit there and turn your living room into a shooter gallery, you know, okay. just by holding it up and just kind of. And I mean, it came with free games on it that were fun, um, with the little AR cards where you could put them down the table and you had the DS around it. And one of those cards turned into like an actual dragon that was breathing fire, like, and you had to try to beat the dragon. So you didn't always need a game to play because these were actually preloaded onto the DS itself. Impressive. Um, and one of and most people didn't realize that with the DSs was like they actually came preloaded with a couple of very basic but very fun games. You didn't actually need to have the game card in there to play these. Um, but the one game I played on it that, oh, that freaked the hell out of me was called the spirit camera. And what it is, is you, it used your house and you held the game up and you walked around your house and you would have like ghosts jumping out of the wall at you. And you had to try to like take a quick picture to scare them away. And it was like, I'm not a ghost hunter, but like after that, like it, it, for a while it was like, all right, is someone going to jump out of me if I open this door? Like what's going to happen? Like I mean, it was a very immersive experience. Um, and that was one of the reasons why I just loved the DS, was there was so much they could do with it. And I really wish they would keep with it. But, I mean, Nintendo's got to, I mean, obviously, Nintendo's going to move on with it. But, yeah, the 3DS and that, with the augmented reality, was just cool. And you could play any game on it. Plus, you could, the, I love this, is you can make it the game 3D if you wanted to. Right. But you didn't have to. You could keep the 3D down to 2D because not everyone can do 3D with with eyes because of eye you know eyesight and everything and you know it, it could make you get a little bit of a headache after a while. But it was nice because it can you can you can adjust your 3DS to the type of gamer you were. It didn't have just one type of control or one t- you can. If you were someone who liked touchscreen, there were games where you can use the touchscreen. If you were someone who liked the controls, you can use the controls. If you wanted to use it like a notepad and tip it on its side, you could do that. It was just 
very cool like that. That's what it was. That and it'll it'll remain one of my favorite consoles. Is my is my 3ds. You will have to pry out of my cold dead hands hmm. to get rid of it. I can imagine. Or you know, ask to borrow it nicely. The true. Yeah. Okay, so let's see here. Now, uh, Chrissy, do you have a particular favorite game series, be it tabletop, console, just about anything, any series at all? Um, my favorite all time, anytime a new title comes out, I'm the first person in line to buy it. Or if it's coming out around Christmas, it is like at the top of my I want you to buy this for me list is going to always be Legend of Zelda. Hmm. The Mana, yeah, but the Mana series, which is a spinoff of Final Fantasy with um, Secret of Mana, Trials of Mana, Sword of Mana, Children of Mana, that is like my is my other favorite series. And then after that is Profound. Um, the okay. Mana series, yeah, the Mana series I enjoy because it keeps it keeps developing itself. It keeps coming up with new things to do. Um, Trial of Mana right now is one of my favorites because. You can replay this game as many times as you want, and the ending is always going to be different because you have up to 12 characters to choose from to play. So you can do any combination of these 12 characters, and it changes the storyline, which came out back in 1990. It just never came out in the United States until recently. Um, and then Earthbound is just tongue-in-cheek funny. Um Ape software, I'm, as I'm playing it now, like, every time I play it, I find new little Easter eggs from the software developers. Okay. You know, Ape, Ape software definitely had a tongue-in-cheek sense of humor for that game, so. Very nice. Now, as for myself, uh, if I had to pick just one series that I just keep wanting to come back to... Well, I guess I have to go back around to Castlevania, specifically the 2D ones. I never really played much of the 3D Castlevania games, but the ones that were two-dimensional on uh, PlayStation and on Game Boy Advance, I, I've been meaning to get get around. That's another reason i got to come up with a 3DS, because i got to get the, the 2D ones that were on that system. Uh, anything by Kogi Ijirashi that he's worked on in that series. And its spiritual successor, uh, Bloodstained... Uh, uh, Ritual of the Night. I I mm -hmm. just absolutely I love the artistic style of those games. I I the music is almost always impeccable, and uh, you know it's it's the only instance where I can actually engage in a horror experience and not feel like I'm going to get completely uh, jump out of my skin scared. <laughs> I I will yeah. not go to horror movies. Yeah, it's and and it's amazing how much the music in a game sets the tone for the game too. Uh, that's it one is. of the reasons why I love. That's one of the reasons why I love Earthbound is because the music is just so spot on perfect for this game. Um, and I mean, is if it's got a great musical soundtrack to it, if it's got a good soundtrack, I, the the game has already won me over because. That puts you into that character. That puts you into that story. Um, Castlevania is probably one of my favorite Halloween soundtracks of all time. It just because mm. it's just so good, and it's scary. It, it puts you in the mood of like, okay, I'm in a, I am in a haunted castle. There are zombies there, ghosts there, and God only knows what's beyond that door. <laughs> you know, it, it's just so, it's just, it, it, you just, you feel like you're in the castle with the Belmonts, fighting with them. Of course, every once in a while, what's behind that door will be something completely goofy, like a dodo. Exactly. Like, you're just like, really? That's what we have here? Okay, come on. Yeah. <laughs> All right, getting nice down to the... have a September. Yeah. So getting down to the nitty gritty of the list, any favorite moments in any games you can think of you want to share with our uh, with our growing audience? I think one of my favorite moments in a game was teaching my father how to play Super Mario Brothers 2. Oh. 
That was one of my favorite moments was with my dad sitting in the basement of our house at Giles Avenue. Um, and I was trying to teach him how to play Super Mario Brothers. He didn't want to play the regular Mario Brothers. He wanted to play the new one we had, which was Mario Brothers 2. And trying to explain, like trying to explain to him all the ins and outs of it. While my, my dad's gaming experience was either, like I said, pinball games or if it was a golf game, he was all over it. So trying to teach right. him how to play a platformer, that was interesting. There was a lot of colorful curse words that came out of that session. I imagine he invented a couple words, too. Oh, I'm sure he did. And, and then, then afterwards, like, we can't, don't tell your mother I swore. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure mom, I'm pretty sure dad, she heard you upstairs. But I <laughs> swear that you didn't do it. So that was that was one of my favorite moments in gaming was teaching my dad how to how to play Mario Brothers too. He never played it again after that, but it was fun kind of t- having sh- play a game that I liked. Right. Uh, for me, probably my my favorite moment. I I can think of a couple. Uh, one involving my interaction, and one just watching the moment unfold. Uh, the, the the interactive one would be. Late when I was playing uh, Blade Storm, the Thousand Year War, a Koei Tecmo mm-hmm. game, and it's a, kind of a real time military uh, command sort of thing where you're leading a unit of troops as a mercenary through battlefields in France during the Hundred Years' War, and you you know you can switch sides from Britain to France depending on the mission, but uh, it was the the end of the main storyline. And I was on an uphill battle to capture the last base of that the British were holding, you know, the last main camp. And it was a tough battle. This was the, as high as the difficulty got in the game. And it reached a point where I was having to dart and weave and dart and weave to get to get through. Mm-hmm. To not get killed, and it was like one hit, and I'm dead. But one hit, and my and the enemy general is dead. And oh. I just held my breath. I hit the, I hit the trigger button for the attack, and I think he was reeling back for to hit me right when my attack hit, <gasps> and that ended the campaign. Oh, that's I, awesome! Uh, you you could probably. If if ever a sigh of relief could be heard for miles away, it would have been the one I exhaled at that moment. But as for favorite moment, just from 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 any game, I gotta give the nod to the opera scene from Final Fantasy VI. Oh, okay. I think that was the first time I actually uh, had a had anything resembling an emotional connection to uh, to a sequence in a video game other than laughter or cursing my luck. That was, that, mm-hmm. that actually made me actually get a little, uh, <clears throat> I guess the word is verklempt. We're getting all verklempt over here. Yes. <laughs> yes. We're going to, we're going to start devolving into coffee talk impressions. Oh, it's time for coffee talk. And just talk amongst yourselves. Selves. I'll give you a topic. The Prince of Tide was neither about princes nor tides discussed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I don't think there's not one person who's watched the opera scene for Final Fantasy VI and has not in some way, shape, or form been moved by it. I think it's right up there when Eris dies in Final Fantasy VII. And if you have not played that game yet, one, what the hell are you waiting for? And two, sorry, spoiler alert. Um, I think when she yeah, dies... it's an over 20-year-old game at this point. Uh, at the, it, you've had plenty of opportunities to play it. Yeah. And I just re- I remember watching it on my friend's console, and we're, we're sitting there. And when it happened, it was literally... The whole, there was like three of us in the room and we're all like what the blank like it was just out of nowhere moment of us and we're just like no that did not just happen 
And then there was the internet rumor or gaming rumor that went around at the time that you could save her. That there was a version where she did not have to die. And if you don't think we did everything we could to unlock that, which, by the way, it is just a rumor. You can't do it. She dies all the time. Yeah, it's a cruel rumor. Don't don't think don't don't believe the hype unless unless someone's actually hacked the game, you can't save her. But right. I I still remember that one where we were like it was like all of us at the same time like the world like just what the oh my god that that kind of that stuck with me. It wasn't my favorite moment, but it was one that stuck with me. Um, and I don't think there's anyone who when they watched it it didn't stick with. That's like the opera scene. In Final Fantasy VI, it's like right. you, you you know it when you experience it. And um, I actually, when I went to um, a different world, the um, Final Fantasy concert series that tours, right. they actually reenacted that scene in the concert. And I don't think there was a dry eye in the house. Oh man! I think everyone started tearing up a little bit. The guy who I went with, he he was crying, and I'm like, "You're crying," and he's just like. Who doesn't cry during this scene? Like, okay, that's fair. Yeah. So. I'm sure people have similar experiences uh, for games more relevant to to them with uh, as storytelling in games has evolved. So, you know, people probably have experiences like that with The Last of Us or with Undertale. And we'd love to hear your experiences when this... When this podcast goes up, come find the Joystick Journeys group on Facebook or look for us on official FC3 and mm-hmm. uh, you know, tell us about, about those experiences you might have had. Yeah, we'd love to hear them because, I mean, who knows? You may, you may trigger someone to go and play that game because of your experience of her, which we do hope. I, as a retro gamer, I if you guys ever get a chance to play old games that you haven't had a chance, go ahead and do it. Um, I'm actually currently looking into some Famicom games that never quite jumped the pond, but due to lovely English patches, you know, thank mm. you guys, the translators who make those. Um, oh, I'm looking, I'm looking for forward yes. to playing. Oh, my God. Them and PAL regions, those are the two things that have finally got me to play Terranigma, was the fact that there was an ch- English patch and it was also a fa- uh, PAL regions patch to it that just made that game me be able to understand that game um so kudos to you guys to do who do that because you're awesome and uh, we got one last question on the list here what current consoles are we playing on and i think by now people probably realize that we both have a switch yep we both have a switch uh i play on my 3ds and i also play on steam um and I play my recal box, but you can't find me on a recal box because that's just a singular unit. Um, what other consoles do you play on, James? Well, right now I'm still playing on Steam. I have my Xbox One, which is admittedly collecting dust a bit because I'm more focused on my Switch at the moment. And uh, and I'm prob and I guess if you count it as a console, you I also play on my arcade One Up countercade model with Ms. Pac Man and Super Pac Man. Ooh, and I love yeah, that right. little light. And I was oh, yeah, hoping. That's right. And I was hoping for my birthday, I would be able to use some of my uh, points stored up on my credit card to grab another one of those machines from QVC with Frogger and Time Pilot. But they're sold out at the moment, and I have no idea when they're coming back. Oh boy! And Probably if anyone just, wants to, oh, actually... go ahead. Oh. It's probably just as well because whatever iteration of the Consumer Electronics Show we're going to get is probably reasonably around the corner. I imagine it'll be a digital-only experience this coming year. But Arcade mm-hmm. One Up always has a big presence there, and I imagine they have a they have a lot of new Countercade products coming down the pike. They said they're going to have some horizontal screen-oriented ones coming out, so I I bet there's going to be a few good ones. Yeah. And if anyone wants to see uh, the Pac-Man, Mrs. Pac-Man council that James is talking about, he actually did do an unboxing of it with Comic Chicks, which is one of our other podcast shows on Facebook. Um, 
and it was really cool. So if you want to see what he see that console, go check out uh, that that um, episode of Comic Chicks because it was really cool to watch. Yeah, Tanya and Ann do a great job. Go go check them out and support them. And it looks like, honey, we're down to the end of our time. I know you want to go back to your Dig Dug game. Um, in a bit, but I think we've uh, just about covered everything. Uh, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, next week we're going to be uh, talking some Street Fighter, and we've got uh, shows on Myst and du- and Beginner's Advice for Dungeon Mastering and uh, Arcade History and oh, and yeah. Games as Improv Exercises, just all kinds of things we're planning on in the future. But as always, if you're if you have ideas for the show, we would love to hear them. We're not 100% sure when we're going to get to them because we've already got a ton of them to, we want to do. But, <laughs> hey, it's never too early to start building the list. And we and and the worst feedback is no feedback. Exactly. So if there's anything you want us to add or anything you would like us to talk more about, don't hesitate to give us that feedback because we'll talk about anything. Indeed. And we're going to close out with a little snippet of music from Legend of Zelda Link to the Past. Chrissy Harding, I'm James Irish. Thank you so much for tuning in to Joystick Journeys. And remember, there are no La Brea tar pits in Scotland. True.